Good morning. As Luke said, we're starting a new sermon series this morning, so I have the privilege of opening up 1 John and then helping us set the scene for the few weeks ahead of us. But we are going back to basics. As we head into the summer, as we spend the next few weeks thinking about 1 John, interspersed with a dedication series like a child, we're going to spend some time thinking about going back to basics, looking together at who God is, who we are called to be, and how we can articulate the gospel to others. So today, as I open up this series, we're going to think about the context, and we're going to set the scene as we kind of travel together over the weeks to come. So I wonder what we know about 1 John. Shall we start there? 1 John is not a letter, unlike many other writings that we see in the New Testament. Rather, it is a poetic sermon. We can tell from some of the clues that we pick, on, pick up on as we read that the purpose of this emotive communication was damage control. It was a pastor's or an elder's response to a crisis happening in a community. A crisis for a community of churches, we know that this elder or overseer has, for a group of churches, most likely near Ephesus. Most likely to be John, although anonymous, this first kind of writing is. We presume that it's John because it's very similar in its language type to the Gospel of John. But what do we know about this crisis? This crisis revolves around people leaving the church who were Jewish followers of Jesus, reverting back to their belief that Jesus wasn't actually the Messiah. So they were stirring up hostility as they were going, leaving and exiting and kind of spreading gossip as they went. So here we have damage control. And it's a helpful reminder for us as we study this together The purpose of this communication was a pastoral heart. It was a concern for a community, limiting damage. Written to those who were left behind to be assured, to stand firm for those who still believe. Therefore, as we unpack this this morning together, we'll see that this isn't new theology, but rather reassurance and amplification a repetition of you like, if you like, of Jesus' teaching himself. The aim was to remind, to reassure, and to see Christ-like living resume again in a community. So as we think about this today for ourselves, I wonder who, like me, needs a reminder? Who needs a reassurance? after the church that we're involved in has kind of experienced a crisis, hasn't it? Not of theology, but perhaps of discipleship or maturity, as we together have stormed or weathered the storm of the pandemic. We've seen pastoral matters just like we see here. But today, my prayer is that the Lord would strengthen us, his church, through his word to reassure us, to remind us, And again, to amplify the message of Jesus so that we would live in a Christ-like manner. But as we go, I don't want us to be fooled. Yes, this is a pastoral assurance, but it's not a simplistic message. 
We may have heard it before, but we too need a reminder. The communicator here is communicating very simple images, contrasting light and darkness, amplifying themes of life and love and truth. But I don't want us to be misled together as we study, because this is deeply profound. So let's remind ourselves, shall we, of the introduction, the first five verses that Luke has read for us. And I'm going to go quite methodically this morning as we go, looking at these verses and thinking about what they mean for us. So we've had read already, but it says this, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our own eyes, which we have looked at and our own hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we have seen it, and we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you may also have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. So what do we see? In the beginning was the word of life. We have seen him with our own eyes. This is the message that's being communicated. Now we are telling you, the next generation, to have fellowship with him. And I want us to contrast the similarity. So let's also turn, if you have your Bibles, to the opening uh, of John's Gospel, where we read this in chapter 1, verse 1 to 5. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and life that was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. What do we see here? What's the emphasis in both of these introductions? In the beginning was the Word, in him was Jesus, was life and light. The word of life was eternal. It was there in the beginning. The word became flesh. God came into this world as a human. And John was an eyewitness to this. He saw firsthand the mission that Jesus lived with. And that was to bring light and life to others. Therefore, we see that the instruction and the word here is we as in the apostles, who were the eyewitnesses, have a message for you to pass on to the next generation. And I want us to focus on that for a moment, because in here is a challenge for each and every one of us. Notice that faith is to be passed on to the next generation. What do we see here? We've seen with our own eyes John witnessing and testifying the goodness of God, He's tasted and seen and experienced the miracles of Jesus for himself. Therefore, it's his job to pass on to others, the next generation, all that Jesus has done. For us this morning, we testify to the goodness of God and have seen him at work in our lives. Therefore, it's our job to pass on this faith to the next generation. Whether that's my children or our neighbors or our families or our friends, or for the last, the least of lost in our society. We have a role to play in passing on this faith, what we have witnessed and seen to the next generation. Why do we have that? Why do we have that command? It tells us so that we can have fellowship 
with each other and the fellowship with the Father, Son, and Jesus Christ. So I wonder, let's think about what does fellowship mean for a moment? And when we say the word fellowship, we don't just mean Christian friendship, normally formulated after bringing share lunches, and I'm really excited today for the picnic after the service. That, though, is community. That's life. That's belonging. So what do we mean by this word fellowship? Now, the Greek word for fellowship, kanoa, means participating or sharing. So here we have this idea again of sharing and participating. So if the message is passed on to someone else, that's it being shared, and then it's heard and received by somebody. But it's not just receiving this message, it's receiving it to the point that you begin to participate and share in it. And that will bring someone else into a real relationship with Jesus, where they participate in God's own life of love and light. So here we see again, that having an active, real participation faith is about us sharing Christ with others and sharing Christ, sharing with Christ. So it's, it's kind of upwards and outwards. But also we see that we can't have fellowship with Christ, we can't have a living relationship with God without walking in relationship with other people. So our faith, therefore, is not just our own, it's to be shared with others but it's also to be walked out with others. And I think that's really important for us to see this morning, that there's three elements to it. Ourselves, God, and others in our walk with Christ. There's this element of self-surrender, loving God, and loving our neighbor. So are you with me so far this morning? It's not, we're not to be fooled by this appearingly simple message in the introduction and the first five verses alone, we have seen multiple challenges. Who this morning are you sharing the message with? How is your fellowship? And what I mean by that is how is your walk with God and your walk with others? It might be easy for you to love God, but you might find loving your neighbor hard. Or it might be easy to love yourself rather than bowing to the need of self-surrender that we see here. Easier to love ourselves than it is to love others. Who this morning are you sharing the message with? Who are you walking with? And how is your walk with Christ? Let me help you a little bit more. What is the message that we are to be sharing with others? helpfully laid out for us. Let's read verses 5 to 8 again, because it tells us, verse 5, this is the message. It's there for us to read. We have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is the light, We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Let's note together, this is the message. God is light. This is the message that we have heard him say, therefore we are to declare to you. 
God is light, in him there is no darkness at all. We can hear Jesus declaring these words himself in John chapter 8, verse 12. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So let's linger with this image of light and darkness for a moment. Light represents what is good, what is pure, what is true, what is holy, and what is reliable. Whereas darkness represents what is sinful and what is evil. And don't we live in a dark world? And that's really simplistic to say, and what an understatement. And I have lived, and I still do, and I recognize that, a very sheltered life. One way to not expose your children to the world that you're, they are growing up to face is to live on a dairy farm. So I lived on a dairy farm with 188 acres, no neighbors, we had very poor Wi-Fi, and we just had a large family, so you play with your brothers and your sisters. And they sent us to a school where people used to kind of Google tractors at lunchtime, at break time, and go on Google Earth to show each other like which fields they've been plowing in at the weekend. And that, you might be sat there this morning going, this explains a lot about Zoe. I've lived a very sheltered life. But we do know, don't we, that this world we live in is a dark world. But hear me say this this morning, God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. We all have a dark side within us, but in him, there is no darkness. So the statement, the message that we are to pass on to others, that God is light, means that God is a perfectly holy and true God, and that he alone can guide us out of darkness and out of the life of sin that we lead. And light is also related to truth, isn't it? We often say that light exposes whatever exists, whether that's good or bad, because in darkness, good and evil look alike. In our dark world that we live in, darkness hides so much, and how some things are so full of evil. Rather, in light, things are clearly exposed. So here lies the dilemma. Just as darkness cannot exist in the presence of light, sin cannot exist in the presence of a holy God. So how are we to have a relationship with him, or what this passage calls a fellowship with him? And here lies the key for us in verse 7. But if we walk in the light, and he is light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. It's the blood of Jesus that purifies us from all sin. In 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 5, it says, For you are all sons of the light and sons of the day. In other words, we become children of light through Jesus, through what he has done for us. So therefore, we do not belong to the night or to the darkness. His blood has purchased us. It's cleansed us. It's washed us whiter than snow. So if we are to participate, are to have an active relationship with Christ, made possible only through Jesus, and his blood purifying us, then the command for us in that verse is to walk in the light. And that's a cool image. God is light, therefore we are to walk in his ways and to walk in the light. But what does that mean? How are we to keep close to Jesus, walking in the light, 
imitating his ways, following his voice, I think that looks like being obedient to his teaching. But again, what do we see in here for us this morning? A seemingly simple statement that actually provides us with deep, profound challenge. And the reality is, we will fail to walk in the light. But again, here comes the pastor's reassurance that we know about from this passage and the incredible truth and grace that God extends to us. When we fail to walk in the light, Jesus' atoning death will cover our sin. But once again, we are called to confess, turn away from our sin, get up and keep walking in the light and obeying his teaching. And that should become a pattern that we live by. Should we read verse 9 again together? If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So that's a pattern for us to live by. Walking in the light means confessing regularly. But I wonder what your reaction is to the word confession. I wonder if that's a regular practice in your life. You might find it really helpful or you might associate it quite negatively. It brings attachments of guilt or this fear of exposure that we all have. And sometimes we might fall into this trap of thinking, well, I don't have anything major to confess, therefore I'm okay. But did you see that warning in verse 10? If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. In short, we're all sinners, But confession is supposed to be freeing. It's supposed to free us up to enjoy this fellowship that this passage is talking about, to enjoy an intimate relationship with Christ. It should ease our conscience and lighten our cares. God's heart is to forgive, therefore he loves it when we confess. The assurance for us that we read of this morning is that he is faithful and just. And I believe our relationship with Christ is secure. We've been purchased. We've thought about that. But our confession is to the presence of a God who is faithful and just. And in return, he offers us fellowship, relationship with him, and a joy to be found that is freeing as we continue to walk in the light. True confession, though, involves a commitment to stop sinning turning away, and then intentionally walking in the light. I want us to think about the context of the I am statement that we've already read. When Jesus spoke again to the people, he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When Jesus declared that, it was the scene of a woman caught in adultery. It was the scene of humiliation, exposure, and questioning. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees marched the woman who was caught in adultery to Jesus, who was gathered teaching to a large crowd at the temple courts. Can you imagine the scene? They made her stand before the group, the gospel tells us, where they confronted Jesus with the intentionality of trapping Jesus with his words when they asked him this question. Teacher, This woman, she was caught in adultery. In the law, Moses commands us to stone such a woman. 
Now what are you going to do? And then we see Jesus respond, don't we, by bending down and starting to write in the ground with his finger. And they continue to question, to point at Jesus, and he'd straighten up and he said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him throw the first stone. And then he stooped down and started to write again in the ground. And one by one, they disappeared. And eventually, the woman is left standing there with Jesus. And he lovingly says to her, where is everyone? Has no one condemned you? But then Jesus declares to her, go now and leave your life of sin. Other translations say, sin no more. This embrace that Jesus has with the woman was loving. It demonstrated loving forgiveness. But the instruction that he gave her was to walk in the light, to sin no more and to leave her life of sin. Go in the opposite direction. Why? Because Jesus declared, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Jesus, by his nature, reveals to us our sin, but he cleanses us, he forgives us, he doesn't condemn us, he doesn't march us out in front of others, naked and ashamed, he won't stone us, his light reveals our wrongdoing, we are forgiven and free, but then the instruction comes to walk in the light. And I believe this morning this passage is a challenge for us Yes, it's reassurance. Yes, it amplifies the message for us to share with others. But it also provides us with some warnings. Last week, Luke challenged us about our wrestling with pride. And here we see it again. Let's not fall into the trap of feeling that we are without sin or becoming like the Pharisees, quick to point out or condemn others in their sin. Because Jesus tackles this very attitude of hypocrisy in the Gospels with the illustration and provocative question where he says, Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Jesus here is condemning a critical spirit. And the warning we read of in 1 John verse 6 says, if we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. If we claim to belong to Christ and then go out to live for ourselves, this is hypocritical. This is us living a lie. And there we do get this impression that Christ will expose this because he is light. In him there is no darkness at all. However, there's a tension for us to uphold. If we're holding to the premise that we're all sinful and we're not to condemn others for their sin without realizing that we are sinful too, this doesn't give us today a free pass to not challenge or call out sin in other people's lives in a loving manner. Because what we've gathered from our study together this morning is that we are supposed to be in fellowship with one another. We're supposed to be 
in a community that participates. And often, when we think about this theme of confession today, the part that we like to ignore <coughs> is doing so publicly in, the, in front of others. James 5 verse 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. We are to be accountable to one another, and that sometimes looks like confessing our sins and praying for and with one another as we attempt to walk in the light together. Today, put simply, the message is this. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. Therefore, we are to walk in the light. How is that possible? It's only possible through Jesus' blood. But also, our great need of him to confess to him, for he is faithful and just. We worship and follow a God who left heaven, who walked this earth, for us to walk in his ways. Today is going back to basics, but I wonder this morning if a better way of framing this for us is actually getting back on track. For some of us today, this isn't a new message, and like the original intention of this poetic sermon, this isn't new, but it's a reminder for a community of people that lost their way. We need to come back to the Lord this morning to confess our sin, confess our great need of him, and acknowledge that we need to make him the center of our lives again in order to walk in his ways. But maybe for others this morning, this is new news. This is a new foundation for you to build your life upon. And let me tell you again that this is a message that's for sharing, that's for receiving, that's for participating in. There's an invitation for you this morning to participate, to own this faith and to follow for the first time. Let me pray for us and then I'm going to invite Luke to come and help us to respond. Father God, we thank you that you are the light of the world. There is no darkness in you at all. Help us to follow in your ways. Lord, for those of us, including myself this morning, who have lost our way at times, where we've deviated from the path, may your word become a light and a lamp to our feet again, we pray. For those of us who feel ashamed or feel dirty or guilty, may we meet with you this morning, not in a way that ashames us, condemns us, drags us out in front of others, but instead, Lord, would we hear your freeing, gentle whisper again, go now, leave your life of sin. Jesus, if we have lost our way in community, then I pray that you would bring genuine opportunities to have fellowship with others again. Lord, we want to meet with you this morning, so we invite you to come and search us like a light, to bring your light and presence into this place, into our lives this morning, to bring anything that needs to kind of be any darkness within us that needs to be exposed. Holy Spirit, come, we pray. May the darkness tremble in this place this morning, in Jesus' name, amen.